Welcome to the Farm Bits Podcast, a product of Nebraska Extension Digital Agriculture. I'm Jackson Stansel. And I'm Samantha Teton. And we come to you each week to discuss the trends, the realities, and the value of digital agriculture. Through interviews and panels with experts, producers, and innovators from all sectors of digital technology, we hope that you step away from each episode with new practical knowledge of digital agriculture technology. Hello, and welcome back to the Farm Bits Podcast for the second episode in our nitrogen management technology series. In this episode, we will turn our focus to nitrogen models, one group of tools that has been proposed for improving nitrogen management. Dr. Lila Puntel, Assistant Professor of Soil and Water Sciences at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, joins us for this episode to discuss the basics of models, why models work, when they work, and what shortcomings they have. This episode sets us up for a follow-up episode featuring a commercially available nitrogen modeling tool, but let's start off uh, getting the expertise in our interview with Dr. Pintel. What are some of the challenges that producers are facing right now in regard to making these nitrogen management decisions, and what sort of research are you helping to contribute to that's helping them to make better decisions? Sure. Well... Nitrogen is my favorite. All my work, my previous work has been in nitrogen since my master's, my PhD. And then I got into a position at Nebraska that is mostly related to nitrogen management. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's pretty exciting. Mm -hmm. Uh, And really kind of my motivation is around the fact that nitrogen is still very very Mm -hmm. challenging, right? So, and I think the challenges that producers are facing is the uncertainty around that nitrogen, right? So basically there's a lot of variability, the nitrogen that maximize your profit and minimize the impact environment could be uh, very different year by year as well as within the field. So kind of picking up what's the best nitrogen rate that you want to select for a field uh, is still being a challenge. Right. So to -hmm. begin with that. And then (laughs) uh, along with that, kind of what tool is the best (laughs) <laughs> to help you to predict that nitrogen, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Correct. Yeah. yeah. So we've had another episode that focused on reactive or responsive nitrogen management tools, but can you talk about more maybe predictive nitrogen models and what's out there as options for producers? Sure, yeah. So in terms of tools, as you said, like active canopy sensors or more of the sensor, the sensing technology, mm-hmm. it's uh, more reactive and uses the plant, right, as kind of, our living sensor to tell us how much nitrogen is in the soil, how much nitrogen is needed by the plant. Mm -hmm. Now, some other tools like crop model-based tools um, kind of allow the producer to cover some of the risk related with weather and how the weather interacts with with the crop management as well as some of the soil characteristics. So I think there's pluses and minuses, Mm -hmm. but... um, just the complexity of a crop model allowed us to kind of contemplate some other aspects of the system. For people who maybe technology is a little bit intimidating or they're not very familiar with these models, can you just give just a really basic overview of how simple a model can be to maybe how complex it can be and some examples so that way they know if they've heard of these before? Sure. Okay. Yeah. So probably we should have started there. Yeah. Right? What is a crop model? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so if you think about it, every day you can simulate, right, mm-hmm. like a virtual reality of how the plant is growing. So every time you're fixing radiation and put it into biomass, mm-hmm. right? So that's yeah. how your plant grows. So now imagine if you want to make it a little bit more complex, mm-hmm. right? You started there. 
Now you try to assess like how much nitrogen is in the soil. And for that, you need the organic matter. You need to know how it decomposes and how much nitrogen is being released. So that's one piece. Mm -hmm. But then the plant on one side, if it grows too much, then it's going to try to uptake more nitrogen or less nitrogen, right? Mm -hmm. Sure. So models account for all that. Mm -hmm. Every day, you kind of have a balance, like a bank account. It's a mass so balance equation. It's yeah. a mass balance equation. Yeah. Uh, but that's when the weather kind of gets into play, right? Because mm -hmm. if it rains more, if you have cloudy days, if you have more radiation, then that potential growth is getting bigger and bigger, right? And then like the supply of nitrogen as well. So that's kind of like the simpler way mm -hmm. of putting that. Um, the thing is that there's a lot of other factors that can be included into the model to make it more and more complex. Some of those are losses, right? Mm -hmm. So we know mm -hmm. that nitrogen leaches in the ground. Mm -hmm. And so it's starting to add the hydrology concepts, right? Yeah. What texture, how that rate of nitrogen is being lost from the soil profile, mm -hmm. how much nitrogen is run off, like yeah. volatilization, mm -hmm. right? If yeah. we get into the complexity of the nitrogen cycling, Aeration that probably and everything that yeah. interactions yeah. and everything, that's the way that you can make the model more complex. And hopefully more accurate. Yeah. And hopefully more accurate, <laughs> right. but, you know, gas emissions, right? Mm -hmm. Like all the volatilization, things like that are processes that we don't have that much data either. Right. Comes back to the data. Goes back <laughs> to the data, yeah. right? Yeah. So. Okay. And what are some examples? There are some proprietary models mm -hmm. that, uh, for example, we are partnering and collaborating with Granular. Mm -hmm. They have their own model. But we know that it's a process-based model. What I mean by that is exactly what I just explained as the mm -hmm. more simplistic way. Mm -hmm. But um, pluses and minus—that's what they what they run into the background, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then um, we are also working with Adaptin, mm -hmm. which that's a model that um, is actually the base is DSAT, which is a very mm -hmm. it's open source uh, model mm -hmm. that was adapted in Cornell University to make recommendations of nitrogen. And that model then was acquired by Yara um, a few years ago mm -hmm. and then got commercial. So okay. in the background, they ran a process-based model with all these components that we discussed today, mm -hmm. including nitrogen losses as well. Sure. Wow. Uh, so they incorporate all the complexity, mm -hmm. even cover crops or residue removal, things like that. Uh, we are also um, aware of Fluorosat. Fluorosat is another uh, software that we are testing in this project that I mentioned, mm -hmm. um, and they use AppSim, another open source uh, model that is very complex. It accounts for all the mechanisms from losses and, and um, other factors of the management. So that is also another alternative. Uh, Farmer's Edge, we know that also runs a model in the background. And probably I can keep naming and I probably <laughs> I will forget. Mm -hmm. And in the next years, I feel like we're going to see more and more yeah. coming up. So, so what are some of the strengths and, and weaknesses that we have there between those two particular? I mean, you talked about how the, the sensors kind of incorporate the plant. What, what are some of the strengths of that versus like what are the risks that you're running when you're kind of using only the plant to tell you everything that is going on out there in the field that maybe a model makes up for? Sure. I think the, the biggest part of that is that um, the crop model will interpret the weather and what is going to happen into the future, as well as what the grower is going to be doing, uh, looking mm -hmm. for. So in the case of a fertigation event or maybe a, a, a round flowering application or things like that, you sure. can already account for those. 
right. well as I can with what the weather will look like later. Sure. Um, I think that's kind of what they complement each other because I feel like canopy sensors or some sensing technology will give you kind of the picture of today, right? How the sure. crop looks like. But maybe um, crop models come into play to to see how the growing season will look like and see if that nitrogen that you put on is actually going to end up, you know, sure. yielding more, responding more, or giving you more profit. Yeah, and building on that, maybe we can step back a bit and talk about the goals of nitrogen management and mm -hmm. then how effective these models are in those goals. So there's different philosophies. Um, can you go into that a bit? Sure, yeah. Um, so I guess your goal, I would say, uh, is trying to hit the optimal end rate that maximizes the yield response. And that is because um, you want to make sure that you are completing the yield response at a point where it yields the high profit to your field. And so ideally the goal is to hit that point in every part of the field, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Let's think about an ideal world where mm -hmm. you have sure. highly resolution, right? And we want to target each pixel or each part of our field, our optimal end rate. Mm -hmm. That would be kind of our main goal. Now, um, we know that we have all this complexity in the weather, mm -hmm. the, the soil, the management, all interacting. So I think that that's, that's kind of the challenge that is still there, right? Mm -hmm. And just to clarify for people listening, the optimal nitrogen rate does not always equal yield maximization, correct? Correct. Okay. That is, that is uh, I mean, that's pretty interesting. We tend to think that we mm -hmm. want to apply nitrogen to maximize yield. Mm -hmm. And 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 the, the thing is that maybe that increase in bushels doesn't pay the extra amount of nitrogen that you put on. Mm -hmm. and, sure. and and that ties back to, you know, these models and how do they perform? Well, um, sometimes it's really hard to capture the response to nitrogen right. rather than like hitting the maximum mm -hmm. yield, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. there are two different things. Yeah. yeah. Good point. Sure. And so you, you talked about how models basically give you a view at what the growing season is going to look like. And for a lot of people out there, they probably see the variability year after year. And they're like, how could you possibly know what the season is going to look like? So what sort of data has to go into these models in order for them to work appropriately uh, and really give you that season long picture that you're looking for? Sure. Um, models, let's start from the beginning, right? Models yeah. are not perfect. Mm -hmm. And even, you know, if a statistical model, an equation, or even a crop model, mm -hmm. uh, they're not perfect. So there are things that they don't contemplate. Uh, a risk, like a weather event or a hail event, right? Mm -hmm. a, a um, disease or a pest. Those things usually tend to be out of what the scope of a model, at sure. least for now. Let's see what happens <laughs> in the future, right? Yeah. Um, but the way that they contemplate all these things happening is because you input soil. Um, growers can either utilize the data that they have been gathering for the last few years, either a mm -hmm. grid sampling or some soil mapping. Or sometimes we can rely on what uh, the open sources of, of soil data are available to kind of feed that model. Mm -hmm. sure. But then we will also contemplate all the management inputs for that grower, like planting day, right? What kind of variety or hybrid they are using for the crop, mm -hmm. things like that. And then we can also utilize whatever weather sources they have. They might have their own weather station that we can fit in, or there might be other networks um, available that could be included. 
So I think those are the three major ones, all the crop management, soil data, and weather um, to make that prediction. Can you dive into the weather data a little bit more about the predictive part of it, which I'm sure is the most challenging part, but also how you're using that historical weather data and if whether that's many years worth of historical yield data, but also what's already happened up to that point in the season. Why is all that data really important to make an accurate recommendation? Yeah, that's weather data is key, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We tend to we tend to rely a lot on, <laughs> on what's going to happen and those predictive models. Um, so what happened up to the day that you're going to do the prediction, that is key, right? Mm-hmm. Because that kind of detects, dictates how much nitrogen you have available in the soil, how much water your soil is holding, and, you know, how much growth you have up to that point. So that's what I always say that you can maximize the power of crop models the later you are into the season, right? Or mm-hmm. the more chances you have to put nitrogen on mm-hmm. because the more you can utilize whatever happened. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, um, it has been shown, and actually it was part of my research work a few years ago, where we did an assemble of weather data. And I think that's very powerful. Um, so usually we tend to use whatever comfortable forecast we have, even if it's seven days, three mm-hmm. days, mm-hmm. 10 days, that, that period of time, and then kind of assemble that with historical data. And, the, and what we found is that that assemble of historical data is actually tend to be very representative in, on average, right, on what, what could potentially happen the rest of the growing season. Sure. There has been uh, some approaches to kind of divide the data mm-hmm. into, let's say, more drier uh, years, more weather years, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. tend to do predictions with those two. Right. And um, I think it will depend on where you are in the country to know if those approaches are better or worse, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. But historical weather is very powerful to at least ca- kind of have a probability of what what are my chances, you know, that my yield is going to get into this trend above 200 bushels or below 200 bushels. So sometimes we look into these predictive models more like to guide us on what's the trend rather than what is the exact value of yield that I'm going to get. And you kind of hit on this a little bit with the regional information. You said what works best for your region. What about other characteristics as well, like the soil data? A lot of these models may have been built for a certain region. What are some of those challenges and how can we better inform it for other areas? Totally, totally. (laughs) And um, actually, you will see that some models were created in other parts of the world Mm. and then they were bringing it into U.S., right? Mm -hmm. But they has been tested and accommodated and, and validated in multiple environments that all that research and science had been put it in. So... Today, you can maybe click on a public available model and you might even find hybrids that are grown in the United States, even though the model might come from another part of the country. Sure. So I would say that the science behind is very robust and they have been validated. However, um, as you mentioned, uh, we have models that might be approved or very well proved in the Northeast region of United States. But then when you come to Midwest, the limitations are different. Mm-hmm. The, the weather conditions are different. And one of the things that we learn is that models tend to uh, perform the worst when you have extreme events. And so a flood, right? right. Or a, a heat stress during the growing season. Um, water table, um, drainage systems, 
different factors that are really challenged to mm -hmm. capture in a model. So really at a regional level, and I think that's part of the, my excitement in, in my current position is trying to find out those things that actually mm -hmm. can make those models better for our regional uh, or region con mm -hmm. regional conditions. That's awesome. Sure. And so I guess kind of on that, on that regional scope as well, thinking about weather data a little mm -hmm. bit more instead of soil data, what sort of resolution do you need to have in your weather data to really have a reliable model? Um, and how reliable is it to get that from historical weather data? Because I imagine we're just starting to get into having really high resolution weather data with the kind of proliferation of weather stations and, and that sort of thing in our modern era. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah. So when you mean resolution, it's mm -hmm. like if you need hourly, daily. Both temporal as well as spatial. You know, if we're talking about doing having a one weather station for every I don't know 10 square miles or something like that versus a weather station for an entire county you know because you think about how intermittent mm -hmm. weather stations can be out there totally yeah um I see that um yeah the, let's let's divide the conversation in two right one is the temporal um models in general they run into uh with daily data mm -hmm. uh so every day, at least you have to have a record of what happened, right? Sure. So, and that's kind of pretty a standard and right. you can configure your weather stations for like getting that type of data. Now, in terms of the spatial distribution, I think one of the things that help, especially for growers that are thinking about adopting these tools is uh, have a rain gauge. So precipitation is one of the ones, the variables that could vary so much, right? Mm -hmm. And yep. in a spatial grid. And so I think that kind of validating or accounting for that will make our predictions much better. Sure. Radiation and temperature, those things kind of tend to vary less uh, within the space. So I think uh, kind of having your own measurement on precipitation is, is very valuable. Sure. You mentioned about how the soil and everything can vary, or that response, nitrogen response curve can vary a lot even within a field or that economically optimal nitrogen rate can vary a lot. So what kind of data are you using to potentially help inform how that variability is in the field, especially for nitrogen management? Yeah, so there's two words, right? One is the one that exists in, in commercial available tools and the other world is the one that exists in the academic world where mm -hmm. you can tweak and access to a lot of data, right? And make a more complex configuration. So. Uh, focusing on more commercial versions and what goes into those tools. I think um, right now we can utilize a lot of um, gridded um, information from soil mapping with electrical conductivity, some elevation maps to account for more specific slope or curvature in the field, rather than just relying on a two, three values from our public available data. Mm -hmm. We now have those options. Now that transition is just happening, or I see it happening, where every year there is a new release within the industry, uh, companies updating or making those inputs more precise. Because what happened is that um, if you use, you know, just one unique value for maybe configuring your slope, let's right. say, right. Uh, that affects all your hydrology, right? <laughs> yeah. All the water movement, how much water you are getting in some parts of the field. Right. And so going back to your point, if you want to capture that yield response to nitrogen correctly, uh, you have to make the best to kind of represent those different environments, right? Mm -hmm. So um, soil data, I think, is a big one. And 
I'm tending to see that other indirect measurements like electrical conductivity is being used to characterize how how the the soil looks like Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm, or maybe what's the distribution of texture right um so i think that's becoming more and more um available Mm -hmm. and some other are using even remote sensing to characterize uh, some of the initial conditions of the model Mm -hmm. and so um, maybe with an image, you can know what happened last year, right? Mm-hmm. And how your yields were and how much residue you have. Mm-hmm. We know all those things will affect how your crop will yeah. respond to nitrogen. And on the podcast before, we have interviewed various technologies and swap maps. Yeah. How do potentially those types of maps, which you know use a lot of the technology you just mentioned, but how do you make those specific for nitrogen? Or is it the same type of idea? Sure, I, I, I can speak on the electrical conductivity in particular. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there's two ways um, that are currently being used and we are currently testing as well on the research side of mm-hmm. things. Uh, the first one is that you can implement those to make a better like division of your field where you might have different yield potentials and mm-hmm. different yield response. So that's kind of a more high resolution, I will say, discrimination of how different is your field. Mm-hmm. So that's one part and the model can take that in to simulate different areas of the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's one key. The other one is that if you have other data or the other layers of information, like a grid sampling, you can actually couple your electrical conductivity with some of those variables and kind of make it as a factor of how they vary across the field. And so those will help you to configure better your soil profile, you know, mm-hmm. in each of the parts sure. of the field. Yeah. So there's multiple ways that uh, these indirect measurements are feeding the models. Perfect. Yeah, that's that's all really, really good info. One other thing that kind of affects models that we've talked about beyond just these soil characteristics and weather characteristics, the natural environment, there are also management variables that we've talked <laughs> about, right? So how challenging is it to accommodate all these different uh, management variables that go in from timing of applications to products that are being applied? Uh, and and kind of, you know, whether people are using inhibitors, whether biologicals are getting mixed into the system. Yeah, tillage, cover crops, all, all the, that. <laughs> all these yeah, sorts of practices. Totally. How, how do those go into a model and how can you um, make up for them? Yeah, I would say the, easy, the easiest one are about management. I think those are uh, pretty well adapted, I would say, like in terms of, you know, your planting day and what kind of variety or hybrid you're using mm-hmm. or previous crop, things like that. It gets a little bit more complicated when we get into manure application, mm-hmm. cover crops, sure. and you mentioned uh, inhibitors, inhibitors, biological mm-hmm. stuff like that. Yeah. Yes. So if you think about it, I think the biologicals are the toughest ones, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> just because models per se do not have any biology of the microbe. So that's a new world. It's coming up, right? At some point, yeah. we're going to incorporate those mm-hmm. where you're going to think about uh, what biological product you're applying, and you may know what certain bacteria you have there. You might be able to incorporate in a model, right? Sure. Mm-hmm. And so those living microbes are going to have their own pool into these models. Uh, hmm. So yeah. we were able to simulate them. And, and there's models that do that, but separate from the ones that maybe growers have access to. Right. So I think that's coming, and that's probably the toughest one. But I would say that... Um, uh, manure, as long as you have some sort of idea or values about how much nitrogen is there, how much phosphorus, how much organic material, mm-hmm. uh, there the models will will be certainly be able to take those values in. Sure. Uh, cover crops, 
uh, I think there's more advances on that because we have more data too. Right. 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 So we have more experiments where we know uh, the how much nitrogen maybe they will be releasing through all the growing season. And those are mm. values that we need to calibrate uh, the models. Right. So if a yeah. grower knows, for example, what kind of mixture did they use uh, for their fields? Like if it was a 50-50 rye and maybe a legume, that information will be an input. Um, termination date, how did they terminate it? Or how much re- did they take the residue out? They leave right. the residue in? Mm-hmm. So I think they're, they're trying to simplify how to describe <laughs> a cover crop so yeah. then we can take it in um, hmm. and, and simulate it. What do you think are some of the most common mistakes when it comes to incorporating all of this data and using it into a form a nitrogen prescription or a nitrogen recommendation? Uh, the mistakes from a user? Yes. A regular user? Um, I would say first is not being aware of what kind of data do you really need to make a good use of the tool, mm-hmm. right? Uh, we tend to do a lot of assumptions. Uh, mm-hmm. on, on on configuring these tools, but I'm 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 certain that there's a lot of support, and I feel like it's going to be more and more support, so growers can get, you know, a crop consultant and advisor that help them to make sure that the inputs and the configuration is correct. So I feel like inputs is first. Mm-hmm. The second one is the interpretation. So I feel like a big part of it is understanding. What is this showing? Like, what <laughs> right. is this figure saying, right? <clears throat> and I think in that that aspect, um, industry is doing a great job at trying to be a little bit more friendly mm-hmm. with the interface mm-hmm. and actually showing showing things that are, like, more easily adapted to their common practices, right? Yeah. Uh, it tends to be a, a more intuitive just to go and look into yields, right? Mm-hmm. What is my yield is going to be? Well, if you think about nitrogen management, you actually want to know how much nitrogen is still in my soil, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe how many bushels I can kind of support with what I have right now. Sure. Uh, turning those that data into something that the grower can take into account that that's you know valuable, mm-hmm. and I th- I think that it still needs some some help to get a good understanding of what's the output mm-hmm. of the models. So I think those two and. Mm-hmm. And maybe <clears throat> I will name a third that is considering that the tool is not perfect. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. if it doesn't seem right, <laughs> maybe. If it doesn't seem right, it's like because most of the times it's going to be right. Mm-hmm. But maybe you might have a very particular growing season, mm-hmm. you know. And I feel like everything is evolving. Mm-hmm. And so it's going to get better and better at, you know, trying to hit that optimal end rate. But mm-hmm. acknowledging that is is a good step. So we, we've we've talked. You just kind of brought up two great points, mm-hmm. right? right? That you have a lot of data that goes into it. You got to realize that there are you know potential errors there, but it also has to really be easy for somebody to pick up and use if you're going to use this on a on a wide scale. So how do you how do you balance that? Is there <laughs> are there any sacrifices that can be made on one side or the other, and where are they? I mean, where where are the trade offs best? Mm-hmm. Totally, think? yeah. That's a great question, and it, it's part of the motivation behind uh, my research mm-hmm. and, and our team is to find out, you know, what are the things that you can sacrifice? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
do we ask growers to have uh, eight inches, uh, <laughs> you know, organic matter value, or are we okay with a smart farmer type of right. shallow organic matter? Can mm -hmm. we feed the model anyways? There are so many questions that um, I think we just still need to work on. And, mm -hmm. and as you mentioned, like, sensitivity uh, analysis type of thing where right. you know which ones are causing the the biggest you know weaknesses in the model and mm -hmm. what others are really needed mm -hmm. uh, i would say that most of the most of the models still relied on yield goals mm. right mm -hmm. and that's a very critical aspect because right. um even the model will track what's going on during the growing season some models will still rely at the end of the the day on what was your yield goal for a determined... A, it has a to have a target somewhere. It has to have yeah. a target, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so I like the part that we're still incorporating some of the growers type experience uh, into the, the decision. But um, I'm actually like very careful about that <laughs> because mm -hmm. it's like yeah. we're trying to right. simplify something that is complex, <laughs> right. but the problem is complex. So right. nitrogen is complex per se, right? Right. right? And we have these crop models that attempt to capture all the pieces of the system. <laughs> right. And now we are trying back to simplify it, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So before we may have even captured everything with the complex models mm -hmm. themselves. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. And and sometimes, you know, is is the data that is still not quite there. Um, there are some particular fields that may behave very average, mm -hmm. right? There are conditions that are, you know, pretty simple to simulate. But mm -hmm. again, there might be some aspects or interactions that are very complex. So mm -hmm. sure. And so so what do you think? I mean, we've, this has kind of come up a few times in terms mm -hmm. of how, how do we actually accumulate enough data to get started with this? Do you have any idea what the lead time might be for somebody who wants to get into modeling? How how far out does a farmer need to look or, or an advisor need to look at his clients and say, you know, I really think I, I need to bring a model to my clients, but I don't know if I have the data that's stored up yet. I mean, is it three years that they really need to get the right amount of yield data to get everything done on a practical level? How much time do you think you need to kind do of you, get the data? Do you want the science-y answer <laughs> or you want the practical answer? I want answer? a practical answer. <laughs> I want a practical answer from somebody that does extension and, mm -hmm. you know, does a lot yeah, of on-farm research. Totally. No, I feel like um, ideally you want to have some idea uh, on your yield data, right? Some yeah. yield money. If you're going to use the model for doing a barbarate application, so intended to vary the amount of nitrogen across the field, I would say that counting accounting for a few years of yield monitor data um, will give a better, you know, idea about your yield targets mm -hmm. per zone and how the, how the field uh, responds to every year. Right. Uh, the minimum data is five probably just because, I mean, yeah. you might hit corn. Let's say that you are planning, mm -hmm. you're making a management plan for corn and you have a corn soybean rotation. So at least you might have two, three years of corn, right? right? Yep. Of course, you can incorporate in soybean, but we tend to prefer corn to kind of tell us the story about what's happening in the... As far the, as actual yield goes, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yield goes, right? Or, or what was the response to your nitrogen management sure. that you have done in the past? So... Um, I would say that's that's kind of my advice on, on time. But the other data layers, I mean. Um, you can get those. If you really invested, mm -hmm. you can get those in a year. 
you can you can yeah. yeah absolutely and are things that you do it once and pretty much you know you sure. can utilize it multiple times and mm-hmm. with some of the new tech that we have out there mm-hmm. like smart firmers like you mentioned earlier and mm-hmm. you know some of the ec mapping units that you can throw on a planner at this point mm-hmm. there, there's a way to get it done yes mm-hmm. yes and um again i feel like that time uh, or or waiting time to get implemented uh is gonna get shorter just because I think uh, we might be getting more benefits out of the remote sensing uh, world where, you know, well, maybe with a couple of you monitor data sets plus remote sensing, we can kind of get it started at least. Mm-hmm. It's not going to be perfect, right? right? But get it started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And building off of this amount of time thing, but how much does it time does it actually take to run the model? Because I know it yeah. definitely depends, but this sounds really complex when people are listening to this. Is some of it automated? Can you talk about how you actually get from all this data to a recommendation? Totally. Well, um, first to clarify, there are some um, softwares available out there where the representative will configure your field for mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. So you just need to provide information. Um, so the time requirement there will be just to make sure that you give them good yield data, mm-hmm. right? And you inform them what were your management practices or what you are planning to do with, with your nitrogen, right? right? So in terms of sources, timing, and any kind of future event that you are planning on sure. that field. So in that sense, that might be kind of easier, mm-hmm. right? Because then you can just, someone will help you to configure your account. Uh, they ran the prescription for you and then you just follow your field and try to interpret, you know, how your, yeah. your field is behaving. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There are some other levels of um, software where you really have to put more hands on. Mm-hmm. And so in that sense, um, models can can take you an hour or so to configure, you know, everything. Sure. Um, incorporating the yield data, incorporating soil information, the management and everything. So it will depend what kind of tool mm-hmm. uh, you pick. Right. Yeah. So I guess in that sense, we still have a long ways to go, mm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there's there's a degree of simplicity to complexity, and um, it will depend on the growers, right? What, how much time they have to dedicate to it? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and I, I've talked to I talked to an advisor here in Nebraska who said he was spending about eight to ten hours a field to get everything set up as far as getting all the data in the right place, getting it in the right format. I mean, it's. The upfront cost is big, but then once you have everything up front, it's easy to rerun over and over again, right? So it's, it's totally. more the startup cost that's the issue more than the the continual time input, right? Right. Totally. Yeah. Along those lines, where do you think we are in terms of adoption? How many people are actually using, the, using models out there, actually mm-hmm. implementing them on their farm? Are we in early stages? Are we... Are, are we even on that kind of uptick? Where, where do you think we are? I think we are in the uptick. Okay. And maybe I'm basing my my opinion. This is just an opinion on how much services are coming out from mm. the market. Mm-hmm. If you look at the at the last uh, you know kind of reports across the country, uh, we see like a very steep uh, curve. You know, kind of mm-hmm. the providers on all these cloud-based, what we call cloud-based services, sure. mm-hmm. is increasing a lot. So that mm-hmm. means that a lot of crop advisors are being exposed to all this variety of tools, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I would say that that will kind of 
get some traction on how many growers are adopting that. But currently, I mean, with my experience, at least in Nebraska, what we are seeing is that there's not a lot of growers that are actively using these platforms. Right. So there's a lot of room for for increasing, and we are actually working on the extension side of things to try to promote these tools among them and actually help them to get on board and yeah. and see that it actually is not that complex. <laughs> and that, you know, as you mm-hmm. said, you set it once, and then once you understand what you need, then it's you can keep it easier. Yeah. 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 And where do you see us going in the next five to 10 years, whether that be in adoption, but also in how we continue to develop these models. Totally. Um, what I see going, I think I mentioned it a little bit before, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think uh, all the automat- automatic uh, input or information coming from remote sensing will be a big player in the, in the future mm-hmm. where um, I see the improvement on some of the configurations being automatic in the back background, hmm. you know, mm-hmm. without having to uh, get that much input from the grower. Sure. So that would be kind of solving our issue between the trade-off, yep. you know, sacrificing yeah. some inputs for quality. Uh, and and again, that will get a better recom- representation about what's going on in the field. So I see mm-hmm. us going there. Um, to be honest, um, we still need to test you know, all these tools and yeah. have a good, very good understanding on where we are at. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, along that vein, could, would you mind telling us a little bit about the CIG project mm-hmm. that we're doing here in Nebraska that's going to help growers understand models a little bit better and what resources might be available to them through this project? Sure. Yeah. The CIG project is uh, supported by the NRCS and USDA. We uh, started last year in the fall. Um, as a pilot, mm-hmm. uh, because um, that was like what the the time allowed. Sure. Um, so we are kicking off this year with wheat growers and, and corn growers. So the main idea is that uh, give growers the opportunity to test any existing tool for nitrogen management. Mm-hmm. So that that uh, contemplates not only crop model based tools, but also remote sensing tools like mm-hmm. canopy sensors or any other image provider sure. that could be translated into a nitrogen management. So we see two main outputs for the grower. One is to get exposed to a new tool with no risk, right? Mm-hmm. Because we will compensate the grower for participating in our study, as well as we will cover any costs from either an extra application, the extra cost of you know getting into the software or getting an account, And the other one is, well, test if that tool actually works for them, Right. you know? And so, yeah, we are helping a lot of growers that want to test these crop model tools to set up the field and get the information that they need. Sure. And will the information from that just basically be available through the on-farm research network? I mean, is it going to be publications? How how is that information going to kind of be expanded out beyond the growers that are participating to maybe other people in Nebraska and beyond? Sure. Yeah. The information is going to be... um, of course, share through the on-farm research network. Um, we have an annual publication with all the results from the network that is going to get published, awesome. as well as there's going to be a lot of winter meetings where um, we're going to be recording, but also in-person meetings to share the results of each of the growers. And maybe where growers also have the opportunity to tell how was the experience. Which right? is always great. To Which hear. is also yeah. good. Yeah. And then we are going to keep posting like in Twitter and some other media mm-hmm. Uh, to see the results that are coming up from this 
and then of course for the growers that are participating um, we are collecting a lot of intense data on the sites so from images soil sampling and and other analysis so they get to also share that and and share it with other neighbors that might be interested also in awesome. learning about their fields yeah hmm. so we wrap all of our interviews up with what one piece of advice do you have for our listeners when it comes to nitrogen management Oh, I would say try them all out. <laughs> try all the tools out and see which one fits you better. Um, at least if, you know, if you have an extension educator, if you have some extension help out there that can, you know, help you to set it up a test, I feel like that's the, the best way of kind of getting a conclusion mm -hmm. about what's the tool. And if you have questions, you know, um, reach out to people that has been working with these tools before. So so you can get a better understanding. But don't yeah. miss that opportunity. I think uh, a lot of the nitrogen uh, issues that we have, you know, not knowing that right amount or mm -hmm. right timing, uh, these complex tools are coming to solve that issue. It's just we need to kind of make it more friendly in mm -hmm. a way and get it closer to the growers. So to the growers, yeah. uh, they can access to us or anyone working on extension of research to, to test them out. Thank you to Dr. Pintel for joining us today on the podcast and talking more about nitrogen management. Yeah, it's cool to have her on. It's, it's, uh, we interact with her a lot, so it's <laughs> nice to actually sit down and do it a little bit more fun. Yes. Yeah, that was a really fun interview. And my favorite part was she did does such a great job of really describing all the components of a model. It makes us think a lot about how growers are currently deciding how to apply their nitrogen yeah. and if whether they're really thinking about all those components and how complex it is but also balancing with that with making sure it's easy to use and making sure it's practical so i thought she did a great job of breaking that down yeah and i think i think she did a really good job too of explaining why exactly data is so important mm -hmm. to models i mean at the end of the day model is only as accurate as the data that's going into it and the data is, the quality of the data that's being collected is pretty much equivalent to the quality of the model and i think with weather data it's kind of where <laughs> that, that is the most almost iffy part of a model right we're yeah. putting so much reliance on weather uh, in terms of the modeling side of things so uh, just interesting to think about um, next week we'll have an opportunity to hear a little bit more about a commercial offering uh, for modeling tools that's available through granular uh, we'll have bob gunzenhauser uh, who's going to talk to us about about what granular is doing and we're pretty excited to bring that episode to you so we hope we'll tune in next week Thank you for taking the time to join us today on the Farm Bits podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts to be informed about the latest content each week. We welcome your feedback. So if you have comments or questions for us, please reach out to us over email, on Twitter, or in the review section of your favorite podcast platform. Our contact information can be found in the show notes. We'd like to thank Nebraska Extension for their support of this podcast and their commitment to providing high quality informational material to members of the agricultural community in Nebraska and beyond. The opinions expressed by the hosts and guests on this podcast are solely their own and do not reflect reviews of Nebraska Extension or the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. We look forward to you joining us next week for another episode of Farm Bits. Farm Bits.